everybody, and welcome to The Void, a show dedicated to filling the void between being an employee and becoming self-employed. Most people refer to starting your own company as taking the leap as if you're blindly jumping off a cliff and into the unknown. This show is here to help you understand that it doesn't have to be that way. As always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please do us a favor and help share the void with someone else who might also be wanting to start their own company. We saw an opportunity to help others understand that self-employment is well within your reach. And just as our businesses have grown organically and by word of mouth, we want this show to grow the same way. So if you see somebody asking questions about starting their own service-based company, please do us a favor and drop them a link to the show. I'm your host, Mitch Smedley, and with me as always is David Hilton. Mitchell Allen Smedley. Oh, the middle name. I'm in trouble. Middle naming. Hi, middle naming. It's only Tuesday, but how was your week? It's good. So far. We're back to the uh, shit-filled ditches on Tuesdays. Ugh. Yeah. All you poop player withers. Yeah, it is what it is, but... It's disgusting. Yeah. But hey, she hadn't been able to flush her toilet twice in an hour for like a month and a half. Yeah, She finally saved up the money to get the thing repaired, so we got her all squared away. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. So. Exciting. Yeah. Not exciting. What kind of a show do we have for our people today? Uh, Q&A show today. We are doing a Q&A show. So Got some questions today. For our newer listeners out there, we have a bunch of newer listeners coming in every week. So we do a couple of different styles of shows. Um, if you're new to the show, we have what we call core episode shows. And those are episodes one through nine. Um, so any device, any device that you're listening on, any platform or whatever, go back to the main menu and scroll all the way back to episodes one through nine. Those are the core episodes. That's where we talk about the core principles and the core adversities that you're going to need to overcome in order to start your business. So um, once you've caught up on those first nine episodes, you can jump right back into wherever. If you want to listen to every single episode, great. If you don't, you just want to jump right back into this one, that's fine too. So um, we also do some just general business shows where we talk about general business housekeeping and other business topics. Um, we have some guest episodes where we'll bring on guests that have started their own companies, and we'll talk about some of the successes and failures of, of what they've experienced and how they do it. Um, and then we have uh, Q&A shows, which is what today's show is going to be, where people will email us questions to Ask Mitch at MitchSmedley.com, and we will get those and we'll reply to your email. But if your question's good enough or if it's a new or fresh enough one or whatever the case may be, we may make a show about it like we're going to do with a couple of questions today. Um, the other style of show that we have is called a Beyond the Void show, and that's where we kind of sit back and relax a little bit and uh, we talk about some of the more social and political topics that are going on. Um, sometimes we try to tie them back to the business mindset that you should be approaching them with. Other times we don't, and we just rant on whatever is going on politically and socially. So um, today's show is a Q&A show. And we have a couple of questions. We had two people send in questions that uh, were were really good. So we're going to talk about both of those. Um, one, I'm going to pull out my phone here because I have them like on my phone ready to go. Um, one is a gentleman named Patrick from Arizona. And he has been in business for 18 months. And... 
Let me. There we go. Okay, so he says he's a plumbing contractor in Arizona. He's been in business for 18 months. Um, he has some experience in the oil fields for about seven years, and he got laid off due to COVID. Um, and so he decided he was done working in the oil fields. Um, and so he got uh, he tried getting a job as a plumber. Um, however, he couldn't get hired due to his driving record, so he basically chose to start his own company. Um, he's self-admittedly a really good plumber, but not a very good business person. Uh, he's been stumbling around trying to figure out how to run the business. Um, he's made some good connections to keep him going, um, but he's trying to get more organic leads. And so he's asking if it's worth hiring a marketing company. Um, he's also asking if it's worth getting some sales training. Um, and then he's asking if it would be worth hiring a business coach. So um, he's listened to our first nine episodes. Um, and, and so some of this stuff we may talk about in those episodes between nine and today's episode. However, um, we're going to answer some of those questions that he has right now. So Dave, what would you suggest for Patrick? Uh, the main three topics were... Um, marketing agency, business coach, and sales training. Well, first off, he's worried about a lot of that because he's trying to get better at making leads is how I take that. Mm -hmm. There's easy ways to get leads, door hangers, flyers on people's cars. You can do a ton of stuff for free. Yep. To not not free, you have to have them printed up. But right. it's not like you're paying an ad agency, right. you know, or a marketing director or anything like that. Do that first. Start small. Yep. You know, I know lots of guys that will. I mean, we live in the country a little bit, um, so out where people have you know three acres, four acres, five acres, they'll put a little billboard up in their yard that's just like a three by five sheet of plywood, mm -hmm. you know, with their stuff on it. If you have friends that'll let you do stuff like that, do that. Right. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and spend money trying to get leads ever. Especially, I, I don't know this to be fact. I think he's a one-man shop. That's how it reads, I would say. Yep. Or very yep. small. I mean, if you were going to spend some money on sales training, as in closing the sale because you have no actual experience, if you could get it for cheap, I think that would probably be pretty smart. Right. And a lot of companies like... Um, I don't know if Ferguson does this or not, but when ProFlow comes in there and is trying to set, push their product, right. they have you know classes on sales. Right. Like that would be a great way to start out for free. Right. Just go to as many of those as that you can go to. Yep. But no, I'm not hiring a business coach. I'm not hiring a marketing firm. I'm going to try to make as many organic leads as I can on my own. Door hangers, flyers, word of mouth small billboard, stuff like that. And then I'm going to take advantage of all the free training that I can get. I mean, I know, uh, so train and Goodman, they, they push training, right? Because they want you to be now, obviously plumbing's a little different field, but yep. I'm yep. sure like Ream probably pushes stuff and then they have a sales part yep. or a, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of free ways to do it. Yeah. And two, um, so like I would probably start, I'll start the answers with like the marketing agency side of things. You shouldn't need a marketing agency for a one-man operation. You should be able to find enough work to keep yourself busy 
um, especially in the plumbing field, because it's really hard to find good plumbers. Um, now, your definition of a good plumber and a customer's definition of a good plumber might be two separate things, right? The customer's definition of a good plumber is going to be a plumber that answers the phone and a plumber that shows up when they say they're going to show up and a plumber that returns phone calls. Um, those are all like customers don't really understand how well a plumber fixes a pipe, right? Like I could fix a pipe. You could fix a pipe. The customer, like my fix might be better or worse than yours, but the customer doesn't care. doesn't know. Yeah. It's fixed. Right. Yeah. However, if, I, if you returned all the phone calls and you showed up on time and, and you did everything you said you were going to do versus I dropped the ball on the phone calls and I was 30 or 45 minutes late and, you know, I didn't do everything I said I was going to do, they're yeah. going to view you as a better plumber than me because yeah. that's the service the customer's looking for. So um, customers are going to view you based off of your service. The... The keys to getting work, when you're a one-man operation, it's it, you should have more work than you can physically handle. Um, so the, the keys to staying busy when you're a one-man operation is literally making it easy for customers to find you, right? So you want to have like a Google My Business page. I mean, if you go back to episode 36, we talk about how to get Google reviews. So find that episode. Um because that one gives you literally every single thing you need to know for how to get Google reviews. Um, make it easy for customers to refer you and let customers know how important their referral is to your business. Um, that's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And when you're new and starting out and just by yourself, you don't have a lot of money. So hiring a marketing agency is kind of scary. Um, the... Uh, the other things that go along with that is making sure that you're being a good customer or being a good plumber to the customer. You're showing up on time. You're answering the phone. You're dressed appropriately. Your vehicle looks appropriate, right? Like it would make a customer really uneasy if somebody's shows up late, their voicemail on their phone. Like I don't always answer my phone, but I always return the phone call. But, like, if the voicemail was like, hey, this is Mitch, you know what to do, you know, like, <laughs> that's not going to put the customer at ease. So having a good voicemail and, and things like that are going to help out. And good-looking business card, you know, you don't – business cards are kind of on the wayside nowadays. Like, everything's so digital. However, there's still a lot of people that ask for them. Yeah. And anytime somebody asks you for a business card, always give them three. And tell them, when you hand them three of them, you say, there's one for you and two to give away. Yeah. You Like, you're just giving them, every signal you're giving them is, please refer me. Yeah. So. And business cards are cheap. Yeah. Like, dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. Dirt, dirt cheap. For nice ones. So, um, so that's the marketing side of things. Um, on the sales side of things, sales training, yes, I'm a huge advocate of sales training because... Um, most of sales training is learning how to, un how to understand people. And so you can serve customers better if you've been through some sales training. Um, you can also, you can serve your future employees better if you've been through some sales training, um, because you're going to understand your future employees better. So, um, sales training is huge. Um, you can spend as little or as much as you want on sales training. Um, but my key takeaways, whenever it comes to any just basic levels of sales training, 
are going to be, um, for one, making sure that you understand the value that you're providing to the customer, right? Like a lot of people that are really good at their craft way undervalue what they offer to the customer. You know, I, I, I've been guilty of this in the past too. Like I'm a really, really good plumber. However, it comes so easily to me and it's literally, it's not difficult at all for me to do the work. And I very quickly forget how much value I'm providing to the plumber. They don't know how to do this. That's why they called me. Right. But because it only took me 10 minutes or, you know, whatever, and I was in the area, you know, who knows, like we can give ourselves all these excuses to like water down our price. Yeah. And and so that's number one is making sure you understand the value you're providing, not how easy or hard it was for you to do it. Um, making sure you understand how a buying customer thinks. Um, customers hate to be sold, but they love to buy. And so once you understand that, you can start offering them solutions in a way that allows them to buy without you selling them anything. And a good example of that is, um, let's say I'm, I'm a plumber. So um, let's say I go to a house with a, a toilet that needs some guts fixed in the tank, right? Um, I, I will usually give them three options for a repair. Um, I'll tell them like, yeah, I can replace the, the component in the tank that's broken and that's going to cost X. Or I can completely rebuild the toilet, like all new components, new fill valves, new flush valves, new flappers, new supply stops, new supply lines, like everything. Um, we even throw a new toilet seat on there, like literally everything new except for the china, the, the porcelain. Or the wax. Yeah, or the wax, right? So like everything new, um, I can do that, just completely update the thing. Or I can just replace the toilet. Um and, and, I mean, I'd be comfortable doing any of those repairs for you. So what do you think we should do? And I'll always ask them that. And I, I'll, I'll only ask them that after I've offered them a various level of work. And so what that does is that puts the ball in the customer's court. Now they can spend as little or as much as they want, right? Because undoubtedly the minor fix is going to be a lot cheaper than like a whole brand new toilet. Um, but... They know, like a customer is very quick to understand that a minor fix is going to come with limited warranties and limited reassurances that it's going to keep them going for a while. The moderate fix, we're going to replace everything except for the porcelain. So now the assurances and warranties are better. And then obviously you can't beat new. The new toilet's brand new. So um, it, it lets the customer buy at the level they're comfortable buying at. And and you you can't ever... You can't ever assume what the customer is going to say because I've had some people like, you know, they'll say, I'm moving in a year. So just do the basic one, the bare minimum, just get it by. And then I've had other people say, and, and, and meanwhile, I'm thinking like they don't really need a new toilet, but they'll say like, I've hated that toilet ever since I moved in. Just replace the thing. Yeah. And I mean, you could have done whatever, right? However, if I never gave them the three options, I would have just cost myself a nice larger sale of the new toilet. Um, but, uh, but more importantly, I would have damaged my reputation to the customer because if I would have gone in and offered just that Band-Aid fix and they really wanted a new toilet, now we walk away from that and the customer's going, I was kind of hoping for a new toilet. Like the, the customer was relying on us to suggest it. And, and so if that toilet gives them any problems in the future, well, then it's like, 
well, now I need a new toilet, and now I wasted money on this half repair or partial repair before, and so um, you you evade all of that when you give a nice array a nice array of options to the customer. Right. So I've seen you do this before. I'm gonna cut in and start here. Yeah, yeah. Where our you, our producer yes. Austin here, who so, he's a videographer for our company, and he rides around with me sometimes and mm-hmm. films some of the repairs that we do. So Austin's got to see this like. Yeah. Live and in action. That would be a painful job. Yeah. Well, the yeah. thing is, too, he he allows allows his his sort of conversation to breathe. Where, like you said, is he doesn't go straight in and get nervous and is like, well, we'll just go and do this. And is it okay? He just says these are the options, and it's almost kind of like he doesn't say he's never like, hey, can we just go ahead and do this or go ahead and do that? It's like no, it's he just sort of you know lets it kind of like set for a little bit and then you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and never like I, you try, you try to never assume the sale, right? Assuming the sale means you've made a prejudgment about the customer and how much they're willing to spend or what they might want. Um, but also it just makes you sound cheesy. Like car mm-hmm. salesmen, the, the stereotype, there's really good car salesmen out there, but the stereotypical car salesman, they're like yeah. the epitome of this, right? We're just going to go ahead and do this we'll, for we'll you. We're just go ahead and write up this deal right now. Like you got time yeah. to do the paperwork today yeah. and they're, they're like pushing you, right? Yeah. You kind of leave it open where it's like, you'd be fine with like coming back in 10 years from now and doing <laughs> yeah. just because of how like the urgency isn't there and that kind of plays to it where it's like, we could do this, you know, but uh, right. you know, I just kind of, he lets it breathe. Yeah. And, and I mean, a car salesman's a great aspect to it too, because like, Nobody enjoys the car buying experience, but everybody loves the the feeling of having a brand new car. And so that, that plays right into what I was saying about customers hate to be sold, but they love to buy. And so the, the reason they love to buy, they, they love to buy on their terms. This is why Amazon is so popular, right? Mm-hmm. I can avoid all of this crap and everything else, and I can literally pick what option is best for me. I can look at reviews. I can... You know, that one's a little priced high. That one's a little, like for that middle ground buyer that never, yeah. th- there's a lot of people that never buy the top option and they mm. never buy the cheap one. They feel yeah. most secure with that that's middle me. option. All the middle. Yeah. And so, you know, the, they'll, they'll say like, okay, that's the most expensive. That's the cheapest. I'm going to go with this one in the middle, you know? And then you've got some people that I assume are just loaded and mm-hmm. they, they organize their search results by highest price first yeah. and they just buy those. Yeah. What, <laughs> so. What's surprising too, is it's caught me off guard how his style it's the customers will come in and they'll ask for something that's like really expensive and it's just like, Oh, okay. They were wanting, had you been like, let's go ahead and do this, this, you know, minor repair that wouldn't have given them the chance to come in and say, Hey, let's just replace everything. Yeah. And, and as tradesmen, we often we're fixers, right? So it's very easy for us to walk in and like, I can fix this. I can, I can repair this. And, and we're almost like afraid to offer them a replacement because we want to flex our fixing skills. Well, the customer, the uh, fixing, it might not be the thing the customer wants, right? Let's again, go back to cars. Let's say you have a a nine-year-old car with 250,000 miles on it and the transmission goes out and you take it to the dealer, you're probably like kind of wanting a new car. Mm-hmm. And and so if the dealer was like, no, 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 no new cars, we're going to fix it. You'd, you'd be a little turned off, right? And so what you would really appreciate is the dealer going, you know, look, we can... We can put in like a remanufactured or refurbished transmission for X. We can do a whole brand new transmission for Y. Or I don't even know if this is a thing or not, but if you're looking for a new car, 
you know, I can like get a trade in value on this one for you, even though it's got a bummed up transmission. Like I can still figure out what it'd be worth on trade in if, if that's what you're looking for. I don't know what you're looking for. Just mm. you tell me what direction to go. And, and you're literally telling the customer, like you take control of this. Here's where the three options I'm willing to go. And the customer takes over and picks the option that's best for them. The, the, the coolest part about doing it that way is customers feel like they have to say no to some things because they hate being sold. And so they're going to say no to things. And if you only give them one option, you're probably going to hear that no, right? Mm -hmm. If you just tell them it's X amount for a repair and don't give them any other basis to go off of, they're immediately going to think your repair price is too high and they're going to think it cannot get it cheaper somewhere else. And, and all of these things go into their head. Well, if you give them those three options, well, now you're qualifying even that Band-Aid repair price. Like, it's cheaper than this one, and it's a whole lot cheaper than this replacement option up here. And so it it, it gives the customer a, an option to say no to two things while still giving you an opportunity to get a yes and make a sale. So um, that's that's the easiest sales advice I have for, for a one-man shop. And if you're doing it that way, you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any problems at all. Yeah. Free sales advice. Right. And per two, Mitch. And two, with the, the aspect of plumbing is that sometimes whenever someone, like, life gets so busy, and they're like, do I want to watch and see if he can fix it? Or yeah. all of a sudden the replacement starts to sound a lot better. Yeah. Well, and, and so, like, um, I've worked at an organization before where they skipped that step in general, and they they trained their guys to convince the customer that it can't even be fixed and we just have to replace it. Well, now that customer has a very low level of trust with you, mm -hmm. right? Like they may have wanted to replace it. However, they kind of wanted to qualify your skills to see if you could even fix it. Mm -hmm. And so on some of those, I, I'm very upfront with the customer. I'll be like, I can fix it, but I don't know if that's what you want. Like, do you want it fixed or do you want it replaced? And like, we can go either way. And customers love hearing that. And I'm not going to say that there's like a certain percentage or anything that goes one way or the other. It just makes it easier for them to say yes to something. And ultimately, that's what we're in the goal of. We're in the goal, of like for us, mobile in-home service plumbers, like we drive out to customers' houses and fix their plumbing. Our goal is to make a sale on something every call we go to. And so, you know, I don't really care the value of the sale as much as I care that like we made a sale because it's impossible to make a customer happy unless you can do your craft for them, right? Um, if you don't make a sale, then you're not going to make that customer happy. And if you don't make a customer happy, that's a customer that's not going to refer you to their friends. I, th I think it'll be good to add too. Could you expand on more for the sake of answering? Um, I can't remember his name. Is it Paul? Uh, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pat, uh, Patrick. Sorry, Patrick. Patrick. I think it'd be good to even clarify too how that dynamic works in a commercial setting when you have the landlord... Yeah, versus so the the owner of the the rental property or whatever. Yeah, that all of everything that we just talked about was where you're working directly with the homeowner and um and the end user, right? So some of those dynamics change when you're working for like a rental property because you can't have any of that conversation with the renter. They're not they don't have any decision-making ability whatsoever. Like you have to have all of that conversation with the landlord. And you also have to understand that landlords have a completely different objectives than homeowners. Homeowners want their stuff nice. Landlords want their stuff cheap. 
And so that's going to change what options you provide and what options you can kind of expect them to take a hold of and and everything else. Yeah, they usually either just as super cheap or replace it. There's no middle ground. Yeah, there is no middle ground. They want the cheapest, and then they want the get it out of there and move on price. Right. Right. That's Replace it. Replace it so I don't have to de- hear from my renter again yeah. type of thing. And they'll exactly. do like 20 Band-Aid fixes before they go in and do the full replacement. <laughs> yeah. Not all of them. Uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, so On like, plumbing. Maybe HVAC is a little bit different because you can't – like HVAC, it's very stark. Like you can't beat new. Well, and it depends on where you're at too. If you're at a retirement 55 and over place, that's really nice. Yeah. I bet they replace a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, those people are paying a lot more money. It's maintenance provided, everything, lawn care, all of it. Right. So a lot of times they just say, nope, replace it. I don't want to hear from these people. Right. Again. Right. Um, The the final question, my take on the the business coach side of things is – I think that business coaching is, you can't put a value on it. However, um, you have to recognize the level of coaching that you need based off of where you're at in business. Um, As a one-man shop, you can probably glean enough information off of podcasts, much like ours or there's even some others out there. You can glean enough information off of those so that you don't have to like pay a coach right now yeah. at some point where you start bringing on employees and you start coming into you know certain kinds of financial situations and certain kinds of tax strategies and all kinds of stuff now you start getting into the idea where it makes sense to consider a business coach right um, I literally was just uh, on the phone call or on a phone call today with somebody who um, I, I haven't had a chance to double check a lot of their numbers, but basically what they're wanting from me is about $18,000 a year. And in exchange for that, they're, based off of their math, they can save me about $30,000 a year, right? So that would be a form of a business coach where I'm paying them. 18 grand a year. And in exchange for that, I'm getting $30,000 a year in value. So it just kind of, you know, it just kind of depends. I've seen, I've seen businesses with three or four employees that, that bring on a coach and next year their business is literally double of where it was this year. And so maybe that coach was 15 grand, right? I, I don't know, but maybe let's say it was 15 grand to have that coach come in and that that business went from you know $750,000 a year in sales to 1.5 million in sales they would tell you right there that that coach is like that 15 grand was money well spent because it allowed them to double their business so um, if you're going to go the business coach route definitely vet them really well and get as many references as you can Find coaches that have actually done something, actually turned businesses around, or actually helped businesses achieve the goal that they were wanting to achieve. Because there's a lot of people out there that are trying to be coaches that haven't actually done anything. And so it's it's like being taught business classes in college by somebody who's never owned a business. It's like yeah. the worst education ever. It's like Democrats. Could, it could be. <laughs> that's, that's more of a beyond the show, beyond the void topic there. Sorry, it, Patrick. It, it could be, but um, 
yeah, make sure that they've actually done what they're claiming they can do for you and double check it with references. I mean, coaching's not cheap. So before you spend that money, make sure you're going to be it's money a well lot spent. Of money. Yeah. And it's hard to, depending on where you live. I mean, if you lived down, like two hours from here up north, the chances of you finding a business coach are pretty slim. Well, most business coaches now are virtual. You're going to email them some of your business documents. You're going to have Zoom meetings. You're going to have phone calls. You're going to have all that kind of stuff. Like you might not actually, maybe four times a year, you would see your coach like in person. So um, the ultimately what coaches, like really sales training and coaches both, what all that does is literally like you're in a box, you've got tunnel vision, you're only seeing things in one line of sight and in one view. And a sales trainer or a business coach, either which, it's literally their job to expand your vision and open up new horizons to things you've never seen before. And it takes your ability to get out of your comfort zone and actually do what they're asking you to do. Um, picture a football player, right? Like he's got a nutrition coach. He's got an agility, a strength and agility coach. He's got an offensive coach, right? Like a football player's got a lot of coaches. And literally that coach's job is to get them out of their comfort zone so that they can be better, right? Because if we're comfortable, we're usually complacent. And if we're wanting to level up, it's going to be a little uncomfortable for a while. Yeah. So he's going to be asking you to step in ways that you've never stepped before. He's going to be asking you to do things with your diet that you've never done before. He's going to be asking you to lift weights in the gym in a way that you've never done before. And all of those things are uncomfortable at first. So, um, Patrick, I hope those answered your questions. Um, I, I, we also sent you an email with a lot more in-depth answers as well. So, um, enjoy all of those answers. And if you have any more questions, feel free to reach out. So, um, and I'll go ahead and give our email out again, uh, as a reminder, anybody who has, has questions for us, um, that email is askmitch at mitchsmedley.com. And, um, we're usually pretty prompt on getting answers back on those. So, um, next round of questions comes from a gentleman named Paul. Um, Paul. Paul. Oh, Paul. So, so we were... Paul's last name is spelt B-U-C-H-M-A-N. And we were debating, is that Buckman or Bushman? And I don't know. Dave says Bushman. I don't know. I mean, I, I was just guessing. So we're going to go Buckman, Bushman, either which. Bunch Paul, if we're botching your last name, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you misspelled it when you sent it to us. Yeah. <laughs> you should be sorry. <laughs> Um, Paul says, uh, appreciate your efforts in the podcast. He's been searching for this exact type of podcast for over a year. Everything he's come across seems fake and more geared towards getting clicks on a website. Um, he found the void about a month ago and he's currently caught up on every single one of our episodes. That's pretty impressive. Listen to every single episode we got in a month. Um, and he says the show's exactly what he's been looking for. He's in the process of starting his own plumbing company in Michigan. He was wondering if, um, if we could do an episode covering two topics. Um, one is how to pay employees. And then the other is more in-depth details on how to create your price book. So, um, Dave, I'll let you what? go first. Oh, before I say that, he's also very excited. He, he loves the idea of the community involvement that we do, and he's looking forward to being able to implement that into his own business. So more power to you on that, because everybody should do some level of community involvement. So 
What advice do you have for Paul? What was his first question? Uh, employee pay. What is employee what is the pay. best way to pay employees? We've talked about this before. We have. It's to hire your employees as W two employees. Yes. Pay taxes on them. Have them put in tax. That's the best way. Right. Do you remember what episode that was that we did it in? I can't. I don't know. We've talked about it in several episodes. Yeah, but. we broke it down pretty hard in one mm-hmm. as to why you don't want to pay your guys commission. I that, think it was another Q&A show where we talked about like W-2 versus uh, 1099, stuff oh, like that. Oh, that's right. It was. That yep. guy, those kids were asking about yep. if they wanted to bring one guy on. Yeah. But no, W-2 wages, that's the way to go. You can take better care of your employee that way. Mm-hmm. You uh, are an upstanding citizen as far as taxes goes. Right. Um, it makes other people want to work there as well because they see the you know your employees like no dude they pay me really well my taxes are out on time we're good to go right. i mean i know guys that literally worked at companies where there were three or four of them yep and they were still paying them just writing them a check out of their checkbook every week <laughs> the employer or employee gets a surprise come yeah. tax time and then they you know so every year they were losing you know one guy here to one guy there and then wonder why you can't find any good help Right. You know, I, oh man, just can't find anybody that wants to stick around. It's because you're barely taking care of your guys, dude. Right. I mean, that if you want employees to stick around and be part of your actual team, the growth that you want to have, then that's how you do it. Yeah. Pretty simple. I mean. Now, what about like hourly or commission or a hybrid or? Um, I mean, that just depends on what uh, kind of industry you're in. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know he wants to be a plumber. As a plumber, I think, um, I mean, there's different ways to go. If you just if you're just hiring a kid to train him, and he's gonna just be with you every day, or be moving around, or half a day in the shop, you know, probably hourly. Right. You know, he's not. You're not sending him on sales. You're not. Um, you're not paying him a task hour. You're not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not mm-hmm. doesn't have a designated job. But if you're looking for guys to just be service plumbers and that's it, that's all they're going to do, then you pay them task hour. Right. I mean, that's the thing to do right now. Right. You know, it's not like when we were coming up. You, Like when I was coming up, we got paid by the hour. And then if you went out and sold a change out and a job or a big job or whatever, you just got a bonus on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a hybrid of, you know, hourly and task hour. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some pretty popular plans for that, too, um, where you're going to pay the guy hourly plus like a percentage of of something, right? Yeah, of each sale or of the yeah. week's sales or... Yeah, and most of the time that's going to be like um, more geared towards the seller. Like, so let's say you're in a split, a split role where one guy sells the work and another guy installs the work. Uh, they may be on two different plans, right? The guy that sells the work might be on more of a commission-based plan, and the guy that installs the work might be a little bit more of an hourly plan. Yeah. Um, because an hourly plus, like the job. Hourly plus, right? This, so like a piece rate type yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, this one we have classified as a three because of how hard it is. So you right. get, you know, an, another five percent or or however it works. Right. Right. Um. So. On for me, when it comes to pay, um, I'm a huge fan of tying their compensation to their performance. Um, this way, guys who perform better get compensated better, and the guys that perform average get compensated average, and the guys that perform poorly get compensated poorly. Um, 
this also reinforces the main goal of their role, right? So if they performed really well one week, they're rewarded really well for that week. And if their performance slacks off the following week, their reward slacked off as well. And that helps keep the guy focused on their goal or their role, and that is to perform their duty, right? And their duty, their duty might be, you know, sales, it might be installs, it might be whatever the case may be. If you can tie performance to their pay, that's huge. We're naturally wired um, to be performance-based. This is why sports are so popular. Uh, everyone understands that performance is key to success. So um, I'm not a fan of like straight hourly pay. Um, especially in the service world, because straight hourly pay rewards the wrong behaviors. Um, and we've talked about this analogy before, but I'll, I'll talk about it again. Let's say you have two guys, and both those guys make 20 bucks an hour. But one guy sets out to do a task, and he gets that task done in five hours. Another guy sets out to do the exact same task, but he gets it done in three hours. The guy who was slower got rewarded more for doing the same amount of work. The guy that was more efficient got rewarded less for doing the same amount of work. And so um, it, you're not really rewarding the right behaviors there. And if your business is selling on like a, um, like on a time and material basis to your customers, that compounds things even worse because now your customer's bill goes up because you had a slow guy on the job, right? So now the customer has to pay more because the guy was slow and that, that sucks too. So, um, you know, if the customer has a fast, knowledgeable, efficient technician at their house, uh, they should be not, their bill shouldn't be cheaper or more expensive because of that. It should just be the same price. And that's, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's why I like flat rate pricing um, is because it helps level all the pricing and it helps the, the customer not have to feel the effects of like a crappy technician versus a good technician or a slow one versus a fast one and, and so on. So um, one of his other questions was uh, more details on creating a price book. What advice do you have for him there? I have one piece of advice. Well, two pieces. So go back. I know he said he already listened through one through nine. Mm -hmm. Well, there are two episodes in there where we talk about just going through it, how to set it up. Yeah, let me go. I think it's... Mm -hmm. I got a fairly six, fast way. To... Five and six. I can't remember. Uh, give me five seconds. Jeopardy theme in the background. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, not that one, not that one. Getting there, getting there, getting there. Waiting. Bueller. There we go. Okay, so. Which ones were they? Um, let's see. Episodes. Five, six, and seven are right. systems and process episodes. So um, let's see if we dive into further. Um, episode five, we talk about bookkeeping software and great banking practices. Um, episode six. Oh, boy. 
hit, the, hit the wrong button. Oh man. Um, scrolling back down here. Episode six was um, differences between LLC and S Corp and understanding those differences. And we talked about key performance indicators. Um, it's got to be so episode five. So then it must be episode. Whoa. These are not in order for some reason. Um. Episode five. No. Yeah. Now, see, now you're down the hole. Episode four <laughs> is going to have to be where it is. Uh, how to build your price book. So we talk about how to build your price book um, and how to select a great customer relationship management system or CRM. Uh, we do that in episode four. Um, now, in all fairness, um, episode four's price book creation guidance is fairly ambiguous because we're trying to set that up for all types of service businesses, right? So you may have a hair salon or a lawn mowing company or, or who knows what. Um, and, and you, so the guidance in there was to kind of set your price book up based off of that. So, so um, that's, that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is listen to Mitch very carefully as he breaks down (laughs) in detail how a plumbing price book should be made. Yeah. This, this made, this going to take a minute. Well, because this is, he's asking specifically about plumbing. Plumbing. Like if he asked about HVAC, I can help him. If he asks about electrical, we're in trouble. Yep. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to, um, I'm pretty much going to read the email of reply that I gave to him. Um, because it's very, it's, uh, when you put it in email, you can kind of organize it really, really well. You can organize and, your thoughts. Yeah. So, um, I like flat rate pricing. The world is cultured to flat rate pricing. Everywhere we go, we see flat rate pricing, right? So you go to Jiffy Lube and they've got, you know, want the basic, do you want the mid-level or do you want the top tier oil change? And it's, you know, $39.49 or $69 or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, um, and, and it doesn't matter how long it takes them to change your oil. It's still $69, right? So, um, and what's funny is in the trades industry, for some reason, some customers are still thinking like they deserve like a breakdown on time and material or parts and material or something, parts and labor or something, right? And I I always go back to like, do you go to a restaurant and you ask them like, can, can, can how, you, how much is just the patty? How, how much is the broccoli? <laughs> like, what if I take off the broccoli? Does the price go down? Or like, if I got my steak cooked rare, does that cost less because you're cooking it less? You know, like <laughs> nobody ever considers doing that shit, but for some reason, <laughs> that's a good example. They, they try to do that to tradesmen. And like, what if I provide my own part? Right? Like, no. If you <laughs> what, want, if, what if you bring your own chicken? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I brought my own eggs. Yeah. So can you cook those with my meal, Scramble please? Scramble please. Yeah. I brought my own silverware, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to take that deduction right off yeah, the bill. Yeah, I'm going to take a dollar off. <laughs> so, I brought my own spoon. I mean, I drove myself to your restaurant, so what does that entail, right? So, like, I got a buddy who can do it for a lot less. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, buddy guy. ironically, I have a friend of mine who owns a barbecue joint here in town, Plowboy's Barbecue. And he had somebody flaming him up about, like, I can cook a better brisket in, at my house. And this was, like, the most epic reply ever. Todd gets on there on this social media post that was trying to flame him up for his Todd's brisket's fucking amazing. But Todd gets on there and was like, you know, I can cook a better brisket in my house too. 
But when you're in the restaurant business, it's not about cooking one brisket perfectly. It's about like he, like he referenced because this was during the Chiefs games and all this stuff, and he does all the barbecue for the Chiefs and everything yeah. else. He was like, it's about cooking 400 briskets a day really well. So as soon as you can do that, come back at me. But for right now, we can both agree that you and I can both cook a better brisket at home. One time. <laughs> One time. <laughs> so um, um, the back on topic here, I'm, I'm a huge fan of flat rate pricing. And like we had talked about earlier, um, flat rate pricing helps level the playing field between a slower worker and a faster worker. So um, under the flat rate pricing model, it also allows you to pay your plumbers and or yourself or whatever um, based off of the amount of time that is built into each flat rate task code. And this is very similar to like how automotive techs are paid. The book may say that it takes an hour to replace an alternator in a 99 Ford Explorer. So that automotive tech is going to get paid for an hour. Yeah, whether it takes him 45 minutes or an hour and a half. Whether Exactly, exactly. And and if bolts break or whatever else, then he has to go back to his service advisor and like get that extra time. For one, they have to let the customer know the job got more difficult because bolts were seized and broke or whatever. But then, So they have to get that extra time approved, and now that gets him more task time to do yeah. his thing, right? So this, this is very, very similar. Um, I use Excel to create my price book. Um, and this takes hours and hours and hours and hours to do. I mean, we're talking, I've probably got like 150 to 200 hours invested into building my price book, um, which seems pretty daunting up front. However, once it's done, it's done forever. And if you build it correctly, it functions really, really well. The cool thing with Excel is you can get the cells to read off of each other, and you can create different tabs that will also read off of other tabs. And so um, I have a tab in my um, – I have a tab for all of the material that we use, and it's 999 lines long. We have 999 items of material that we keep track of. Um, not all of it stocked on the trucks or anything, but like we have 999 items in there. Um, on that material tab, uh, it's broken up. It's like organized by columns, right? So um, on on the, the, the left column is I have like a part number that I've made for the material. The next column over is the part number or the part name for the material, right? Like it might be a fluid master fill valve or a corky flapper or whatever the case <laughs> may be. Corky flapper. Yeah. Um, so, and then as the columns go farther to the right, we're going to have like the cost for me to buy that item. And that's cost after tax. Um, and then the next column over, I have my markup divisor. And so you're, you're obviously, you're always going to mark your material up I like a scaling markup. So for instance, if an item costs me five bucks, I'm going to mark that up times three. I'm going to sell that to a customer for $15, right? That's the value I'm bringing to the customer because I have the part in my truck ready to give them right now. So the customer will gladly pay $15 instead of having to drive to the store themselves to save 10 bucks. So, um, uh, however, so the, the more expensive parts get, 
the the lower that markup goes, right? So if I have like a a water heater that I bought for seventeen hundred bucks, I might only sell that thing for like twenty one hundred bucks or something. It's yeah. it's it's a sliding thing, right? I'm not going to triple the cost of a seventeen hundred dollar water heater. No. So um, and then on the next column over, I have my sales price for that item, right? So. And you build all of this, like you can you can make the the markup column, you can make that automatically reactive to the the item cost next to it. Yeah. If the item cost is between this range, this number is times you know three. Yeah. Um, or, or whatever. If you want to mark it up by percentage, or if you want to do a markup divisor, or whatever the case may be, like however you want to do that, you can. Um, and so then you just copy and paste that all the way down the row. And so that way your $5 items are getting tripled, your $10 items might be getting like doubled and and your $20 items might be getting, you know, added, you know, 50% or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and then you've got your, uh, your far right column that's your sales price. And again, you're going to plug a formula in there that says take the cost times the divisor and, or divided by the divisor or whatever, however you're going to factor it. And, and it's going to develop your sales price. And so that way, once that's done, like, let's just look at this on a small scale for a second. Once that's done, what I do is I actually, whenever, like, twice a year, three times a year, I'll send it to my parts supplier. And I'll tell them, like, can you update all the pricing in here? Like, I don't want to do all that work. They're the ones making money off selling me parts. Yeah, they don't mind. They usually don't mind doing that kind of stuff. No, I'll literally send them a copy of the file, and I'll tell them, do not get it out of order. Because they'll go through, and they, they've got a copy, right? So they'll yeah. go through, and they'll edit old price, new price, old price, new price, so you yeah. can kind of see what the difference is. But then they'll put it all in order, and I can literally copy that whole column when they send it back to me yeah. and paste it into my new price book, and boom, in literally like three clicks, and all of my material cost is updated. And it cost me an email about a week and a half for them to get it back to me because 999 items, it takes them a yeah. minute to get it all. Um, and then a couple of clicks, and we're done. So um, that is my materials tab, okay? So now if we flip over to like my tasks tab, we have about 350 tasks, I think. Um, so a lot of tasks. It's a lot of tasks. So plumbers, I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities for repairs for plumbers. Um, you know, if you're... It just depends on what you do, right? And we might have a little too many tasks. I don't know. But I, I try to have a task for, like, every realistic thing that we might have to do in a customer's Swung house. hammer five times. <laughs> Is that miscellaneous? Yeah, but if I swing at 10, I have to do that quantity times two, right? Um, $4. Yeah. Picked up newspaper from customer's driveway. Yeah. Um, so um, my tasks column is all of the tasks that we would sell from, right? It's everything from my trip charge to my diagnostic fees to my repair pricing to my water heater installs. Like we've even got like whole house repipes in there, drain repipes, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so how those are organized, again, um, all the tasks are on the rows and then everything is organized through the columns. So for me, my left column is... Um, my, my left column is my task number or task identifier of some kind. And I have a nomenclature into my tasks that kind of give a hidden message to the plumber on how much time is included in that task. So it might be like drain pipe repair and it includes one hour of time. So 
hypothetically, that task might read like DPR for drain pipe repair, and then it might say like 100 for one hour. That would be like 1.00 hours, right? Um, let's say we have a, a drain pipe repair that includes two hours of time. Then that would be like DPR200. Or let's say it includes one and a half hours of time. It might be DPR150. Um, and so that allows you to kind of group your tasks together while also identifying to your technicians like how much time is allowed for them to get the work done in that task. Um, next column over is the task title. Um, and then we start getting really, really in depth. So, um, before I get too far in, there is a cell in the upper left hand corner where I have my flat rate hourly price. Now, if your time and material, your hourly price is significantly lower than if you are flat rate because flat rate has to figure for all types of uncertainties, time and material. If I show up to your doorstep, that clock starts. And if I have to leave and go get parts, I'm still on your clock. Yeah. And if I have to drive back from the parts supply house and come back to your house, I'm still on the clock, right? Yeah. So, like, there's no way to lose on time and material. Um, there is a way to lose on flat rate, right? Like, if I didn't factor enough time and now I have to go get parts, like, I'm kind of behind the curve. And so your time and material, your your flat rate price is, is usually going to be a lot higher. So... Um, you will, so you've got like uh, the, the column that has all of your task titles in it. It might be replace toilet flapper. It might be rebuild level one of a toilet or repipe, drain piping, or whatever the case may be. Next column over is going to be how much time is factored into that task. So it might be a half hour, one hour, a quarter hour, three quarters of an hour, Whatever the case may be, that's how many hours are included in that. And I, I lump mine into to hours, right? So it's it's going to, instead of minutes, it's going to be hours. So like a quarter hour would be 0.25, and that's 15 minutes. But it gives me a whole number or a decimal number to work with. Um, so next column over from there is going to be miscellaneous material. So like as plumbers, sometimes we're using solder, we're using glue, we're using rags and cleaning supplies. We're using things that you can't really like sell the whole thing to that one job. And so we've just factored in a miscellaneous material cost for all of our tasks. So like installing a water heater, I think it probably has like $30 in miscellaneous material. And that covers our, you know, our solder and our map gas and our cleaning stuff or we're cleaning yeah. up around Same the space. Cloth. Yeah. Yeah. Things that get consumed on multiple jobs. Yeah. Next, now this is quite a few columns over, and this is where your materials tab comes in really handy. I will go through and literally plug in every single piece of material that I can reasonably expect to use on that job. So let's say it's a three-foot drain pipe repair. And, and our, our tasks are even broken down off of like what size of pipe it is. A three-foot, like I, I say three, five-foot. So... A five-foot drain pipe repair for inch-and-a-half pipe, a five-foot drain pipe repair for two-inch pipe, you know, for three-inch pipe and all this stuff. Well, then I can go in and say, okay, I'm probably going to have, like, two rubber adapter couplings, two Furunco couplings on each end of the repair. And yeah. I'm probably going to have, like, two fittings. And then I'm going to have, like, five feet of pipe. And so I can go through and get my task sheet referencing back to my materials sheet for the, the part number, the part name, 
And and you can literally just say, like, for this cell, display the cell that's on the material sheet. Yeah. And then you get it to display the part sales price. And so at the end of all of this sheet, uh, when you get to the farthest right column over, or not the, the second to the farthest right column on my sheet, is where I total up all of my material costs. And so if I've got five pieces of material built into that task, it's going to total all five. I mean, heck, I've got some tasks that have 40 pieces of material in it. So that that sheet is like many, 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 many columns yeah, wide. It's huge. And then your final, um, your final column over on the right is going to have a formula that factors all of those costs in there. So it's going to total up. It's, it's going to add the total material cost. It's going to add the miscellaneous material cost. And then it's also going to multiply your flat rate, hourly rate, times the number of hours that you think that task should take. And it'll like you once you get the formula built, you just copy and paste it all the way down, and it does all the math for you. And, um, and so that way, as you update material pricing... Because that ta- or because that Excel sheet is looking to pull off of your materials sheet for all of those costs, you can update material pricing and it automatically updates all of my task pricing. Yeah. I can update my flat rate hourly rate and it automatically, because they're all pulling off that one cell in the upper left hand corner, it automatically updates all of that as well. So again, it takes a ton of work to get it built. But once it's built, it is really, really durable. So a plumbing flat rate price book, I would assume, is probably one of the most difficult ones you would ever have to build. So if you just listened to all of that, for one, I'm sorry, that was like really long and really detailed. (laughs) However, it was very, very useful information, right? So um, if you're a lawn care company, your flat rate price book is going to be significantly less, right? You're going to have something with square footages. You're going to have like, and instead of an hourly, well, you might have an hourly thing, right? And you know that you can mow so many square feet in an hour. And yeah. so you, you might have a modifier there. You might have some modifiers for like number of feet of edging that you have to do or, or whatever the case may be. But once you get all of that built, it makes it incredibly easy to to give consistent pricing to the customer and also update your pricing as times change. Yeah. And we talked about this in episode four. Um, if you, if you're not really good with Excel, take a class Yeah, or go on YouTube. You can watch hours and hours of people showing you how to build Excel spreadsheets. Right. Like when you just pull it up, and you you have no idea what any of that stuff does, yep. and you start clicking on things and think you're moving along, and then hit one thing, and you can't figure out why you did that. Why did these things add? How yep. did I get there? I mean, you can hit undo, but if you don't know how far back you went to do it, yep. you could be in trouble. And so spend the time, if you're not comfortable with it, to do some research or take a class and get it figured out. Yeah, so one thing I did, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with Excel now. I didn't used to be. One thing I did, instead of saving my sheet, like I would put in three or four hours of work on it and then save it, right? And then three or four hours of work. And then I started realizing, like, it took me weeks to build mine because I was building mine while I was working for somebody else. And so um, what I started to do was I would, instead of saving it, I would save it as a copy. And then I would name the copy, like, the revision date that I was on. And so that, it gave me the peace of mind to go, like, okay, 
last week is where I made a mistake, and so I need to go back to that revision and see if you can find start it. from there, right? And then once you get it built and everything's functioning right and everything else, well, then you can just delete all those revisions because you've got the finished product over here, and those are useless at yeah. that point. So, um, but that is like my like my it's like my playbook, right? And a college football or any any football team would never share their playbook with anybody else. Um, I may have like overshared like how mine's built just just right there, but it's it's it takes a ton of work to put together. But once it's together, like you'll you'll never have to modify it after that. Like the modifications you're gonna do, you might be adding repairs. Like let's say they come out with new products or new items that you need to come out yeah. with a new code for. So uh, just minor updating. Yeah, minor updating, updates in material pricing. Um, you may expand upon it a little bit. Like I've gone and made some variations where it's like, oh, this. Sometimes this job takes 15 minutes. Sometimes it takes 45. And so my my code may have only allowed for a half hour. And so I built other codes around it. I built a code that does the same task in 15 minutes, and I built another code that does the task in 45 minutes. And so that way my guys out in the field can look at the job and go, oh, this is one of those 45 minute ones. All right, I'm going to use that code yeah. instead. You know, and and so it helps give them more tools in the field to work with. So, um. For $10,000, I will steal Mitch's price book and sell it to any of you. <laughs> yeah. One at a time. And he would do it, too. I would do it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he would do it in a heartbeat. Damn right I would. You know, I, could, I could probably sell that thing for boatloads of money. I bet you could. I could probably do that. So I bet you could. And yeah. just use it like a... I don't I think know. Your, your client books that you can sell, you know, whenever you retire, and be like, you know, you're, you're playing. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's well, and we talk like one of those core episodes. We talk about building your CRM. That grabs all your client info. Yeah. And so you know we've got thousands and thousands of customers, and we have all of their info, names, addresses, phone numbers, buying habits, like everything. And so we we don't sell it. We don't do anything with it. But God, I'd, I'd hate to think what somebody would be willing to pay for that kind of information. Like we have the age of their equipment on there, how old their water heaters are, how old their furnaces are, like everything. Well, I know a guy so. who's he's planning on selling. Like he's like it's like, you can like value it, and it's like you know probably millions. Yeah, yeah, it could be. So it's worth a whole lot more to us than it is to anybody else. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm not. And and their privacy is worth a whole lot more too. Like literally, when we're booking all their information and we grab their email address, we tell them like we don't sell any of your information. We don't spam you with stuff. So. We'll uphold that promise to the customers. <laughs> so, oh man, well, lots um, of boring, good info in there. Yeah, th- I mean, good info, but you kind of have to trudge through it. So, yeah. um, um, this would not be an episode you'd want to listen to if you're not concerned at all about price books. So, yeah, <laughs> but uh, um, too late. Suckers. Great, great questions there, and uh, so the the emails that we sent were even a little bit more in depth than that. So. Um, if anybody has any questions at all, feel free to email us at askmitch at mitchsmedley.com. And you can title the email with whatever your question is. If you want it to go to a specific one of us or whatever, you can throw that in there. Um, so, um, but yeah, just, uh, shoot us your questions and, and we'll be happy to get back to them. So, um, that pretty much wraps up everything for this episode. So, That's it, man. um, guys do us a favor, help share the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, whatever platform you're listening on, please go give us a review on that platform, especially after a show like this one where we gave you such bomb info on how to build a price book. 
uh, I think that's worth a five-star review. So um, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, give us a five-star review. Like oh, literally man. just pull out your app right now and just go give us a five-star review on that. We would really appreciate it. It helps us come up in the searches a little better. So uh, until next time, guys, we will see you later. See you guys. Mm-hmm.